Everybody, St. Paul here. I am in L.A. working with my dear friend Oliver Lieber on my new record. But my guest this week on episode 36 of Music on the Run is Kat Perkins, and she's coming right up. Before we get started here, do me a favor. Wherever you got this podcast, make sure you subscribe, give us a rating, and if you have time and like what you're hearing, make sure you write a review. It really helps us get the word out so we can have a lot more people coming to the party. Hey everybody, I'm St. Paul Peterson. Prince gave me that nickname, and I've been lucky enough to tour with people like the Steve Miller Band, Kenny Loggins, Peter Frampton, Donnie Osmond, to name a few. And when I'm not playing music, I love to run. And this is a podcast about how we stay healthy on the road, physically, mentally, and with our families. Welcome to Music on the Run. Hey everybody, welcome to Music on the Run, episode 36. Wow, can't believe it. It's finally spring here. Yeah, I'm running. Did eight miles on Saturday, four miles today, and some of that COVID-15's coming off. It is. I'm actually uh, uh, practicing what I preach, and it's just finally getting beautiful here in Minnesota. Check it out. My next guest is an incredible singer a motivational speaker, a television and radio personality, and she runs her own nonprofit organization called the Rising Star Foundation. She was a finalist on season six of The Voice, and I absolutely adore this woman. Please welcome Kat Perkins. I need a theme song or something like that. Maybe I can get one in here. Hold on. Let me see if I can do that here. Kat Woo. Perkins, everybody. Welcome, Kat. How are you? That was really good. How are you? I'm so good. It's nice outside. It's spring in Minnesota. Finally, I'm, right? Yes. I'm, I'm just elated to not have to be shoveling or snowblowing. So Kat is my Minnesota buddy. She's not originally from here, but we claim her for our own, whether you like it or not. Thank you, because I claim it. So okay, I would hope so. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to chat. You, you don't little a little thing like COVID get in the way of you being a, that spark plug that I know you are. You're always doing something cool. Tell me what you've been doing for the last year since we haven't been able to go out and hang and play live. Talk about on the run. I guess that's that's what I should have called my series. So. Um, you know, last year our tour got cut short. We were in New Orleans on March 8th, because mm. I remember it clearly. And they sent us home and they were like, that's it. I, the, the world is shutting down. There's a pandemic. We, and we had heard all the buzz, right? But, and then, you know, we quarantined because we had been out there. And, um, mm. and then I finished Netflix. <laughs> And, Did you finish and, the whole thing? The whole thing and Hulu. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I should Excellent. start over now. Because I need a new show. I just I just finished uh, uh, Schitt's Creek and uh, what else did I finish? Yellowstone. So I will be talking yeah. about what I need to see next. Yeah, I mean, now it's just, it's been amazing. They've done a great job of getting new stuff out there. But um, so, and then I was staring at my vehicles. Honestly, I felt like in my heart, if I still needed music in my life and live music, that I thought we could safely do this and spread joy around our communities. So me and my guitar player, Eric Warner, started jumping in my new truck that I had just bought for Mm. pulling gear and all this stuff, right? Really bad time to be buying a car. And, um, And we started to go to people's driveways, socially distant you know, small, tiny little gatherings, just families that had been quarantining together. And we were doing concerts. So we just like, it was basically out of your truck, out of my truck, out of the back of my truck, like a good North Dakota girl where I grew up in North Dakota. You're making me proud now, girl. Utilizing what we had, where we are with, you know, what the circumstance was. And it turns out that it was, you know, it really took, it took off quickly because you know, neighbors told other neighbors and neighbors told other neighbors and all these different, you know, places in Minnesota were like, get Kat to come and sing for you. And so we started doing like pop-up concerts, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever they wanted. And, um, and then it just, it started to just 
be this joyful thing that was helping our community and helping people, you know, sort of navigate through this weird time and also gave joy to us. I'm not going to lie. I, I was a little selfish in the moment because it was really getting us out of bed, getting us out of the house and making us feel like we were doing something. And we're still doing it to this day. One year later, we just celebrated our year anniversary of doing it. And it's so much fun. That's crazy. What a <laughs> brilliant way to bring joy to the community. You li- And look, I mean, there needed to be some joy in Minneapolis-St. Paul, and there still does. Just meaning yeah. with all you know, the attention that's been focused on us because of yeah. the murder of George Floyd. Did you find that the community was was hungry for a little peace and love through music? And do you think that that brought people together? 100%. Um, we started to do these really feel-good songs and we would end pretty much every curbside concert with Kat uh, with like Lean On Me or something that was like, or like, uh, don't stop believing. And you know, all these cover tunes that just meant something to me and made us feel good. And, and definitely we saw people coming together. We saw people just stepping outside of all the chaos and quarantining and homeschooling for, for 30 minutes and just coming outside, having fun and bringing them together in a different way, very safely. And it was just, it was just magical. I, here's what I said. I said, to Warner, I said, here's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to try this right now, just right now. And then I, I'm saying probably like the first five days into the process, I said, no, 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 this is what we do now. And I don't think wow. we should ever stop. No matter what tour that comes back or what shows come back, we should fill in the blanks by keeping on spreading joy in, in these small, intimate ways on your curbside, curbside concerts. Brand new way to connect with your, your community, with your fans. 100%. A new revenue stream, I would hope. Yeah, absolutely. And I should tell you, you know, it was like we doubled down right off the bat because we figured out that, yes, we needed to put food on our table, of course, mm-hmm. but we were getting so much give <laughs> to us that we decided to give back immediately. So we teamed up with Second Harvest Heartland right off the bat and so every single day, which we leave ourselves open still to this day, seven days a week to do it, we give back a portion of every single day's proceeds and tips right back to charity. And we've been able to provide over 5,000 meals for people in need around the Twin Cities by just doing concerts at people's curbsides. Wow. What does that do for you? <laughs> it makes my heart so full. I just, I feel it in my bones, in my soul. I feel... You know, like we're doing good. I feel the joy and I feel that give back that just makes the universe sort of spin in a different way. And, and just, you know, it's warm, it's love, it's, it's doing good things, which is all, what I'm always all about. You said it, it is love. And when you give love, you get love in return tenfold, twentyfold, a hundredfold. hundred percent. And you are living proof of that. You just, you just shared that story with it. That is so amazing. And might I remind our fans of this podcast that she was doing this during and completely through a Minnesota winter. Oh yeah. Right. So yeah. did we have like, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the mittens, the gloves, the, the, the parkas, the, the yeah. moon boots. Yeah. Moon boots. All moon. of that moon boots. I love moon boots. Um, I bought like a, you know, a Costco sized pack of hand warmers and foot warmers. And what we did is I have a secondary vehicle, which is our tour van. So it's a 15 passenger van. After it got cold, after it got below like 30 degrees, 28 degrees, I remember, cause I blogged about it. I was like 28 degrees. I think that's my point where mm-hmm. I have to have some sort of heat. And I took out the seats of my van and we oh, put in you? propane heat. And then obviously just the van heat kept it running throughout the show so my guitar player Warner could keep his hands warm and he sat inside and I put this faux fake fireplace in there with a bunch of ambient lighting and um, holiday things after it got close to Christmas. And I still jumped out, but he stayed in. And I'll tell you one thing I never thought of that um, happened right off the bat is my hand got frozen to the mic at one point. (laughs) 
<laughs> so I ended up wrapping my mic in pipe insulation. And then um, I remember on, on New Year's Eve, it was like, you know, 14 below with wind chill. And uh, my mic got stuck to my lips, just like, you know, the old jungle just gym Just like scene. licking the, the, the pole. Putting your yes, tongue on the point. Exactly. Yeah. Nice. And I just kept it there. And I, you know, all you want to do is like pull it away. But um, I just was like, what am I going to do? At least it's, at least it's stuck to my mouth. And I, um, and I just like breathed on it until I got it away from my lips. But I was like, got to use a new type mic technique because that's not going to be working for me through this <laughs> sub zero temperatures. Just Vaseline so it could never stick there. Just coat it with Vaseline. Just insulate those lips. Um, so we, we got through it. I, I'll tell you, from Thanksgiving to Christmas, we, I'm, I'm all about setting goals. And I usually write them down somewhere. And, and I said, we should try to do 30. We should try to do 30 curbside concerts for the holidays. You know, keep that holiday joy going. And we couldn't do our Christmas tour, you know, so we wanted something in place of that. And we ended up doing 60 eight concerts from November to January 1st. See? And we were doing like six a day. And I, I like, I hit my limit at some point. I was like, whoa, that's too many. Like I can't do more than six a day. Well, you got to pull um, your chops. But it was so perfect. And all these families, you know, for Christmas was the kids. And we were having them sing along and bringing them some um, little necklaces and, and cat ear, um, uh, uh, Christmas cat ears and all these little gifts mm. that we had laying around. So it was just, it was just, that was completely magical. And I can't wait to do that again for the holidays, even though it's cold. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it at all. Wow. Well, you, you and I have known each other for a long time. Yes. Do you remember when we met? You probably I do. remember better than I do. As well. I remember the day because I had known the legend. So I moved here in 1999 from North Dakota. So I remember I learned all about all the musical people in this town. Obviously, you having the legendary family. Um, you know, I, I had heard your music. I had seen your family perform. I had seen all these different things. And it was probably 2002, I'm going to say, um, when we ended up doing a charity fundraiser at St. Joan of Arc Church. Amen. And it's the, the cabaret, which I think they still do. Oh, yeah. Actually, right? They do. And uh, my husband at the time was the drummer, like the resident drummer of that church. And, um, and you were on the bill. And so I got to be a part of it. And I, was, I got to sing background vocals. And I met you for the first time. And you sang Purple Rain. And I got to do the background vocals. <laughs> 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 and I was not even legal. I couldn't go to the bar. I was not, I was not 21 yet. But Really? <laughs> no. Oh my God. I was probably right on the cusp of turning 21. Crazy. <laughs> well, let's take it all the way back. Cause we just established that we claim you here in Minnesota, but you're not from here. You're from Scranton, North Dakota. Scranton. Is that correct? Scranton, North Dakota. A lot of people think when I say that, that I'm talking about the electric city from the office, which, you know, everyone loves that show, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not, it was named after Scranton, Pennsylvania, but this is Scranton, North Dakota, very different from Scranton, Pennsylvania, a town when I grew up, there was 280 people total. Okay. I had nine kids in my class. I was valedictorian, but I don't, can you like brag about it when there's only nine kids in your class? Wow. What did you graduate ninth? <laughs> Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. You just kind of right? threw it out there. I, 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 you know, I got to pounce on that. And now, now the population is more like 150. It's, you know, it's a, it's a, it was a mining town back in my day. Um, but the mine shut down when I was in high school. So in the nineties and um, a lot of people left, you know, and, and I, you know, even though I knew nothing different, right. I grew up in a tiny little town and, very rural. I, I, one of my first driving experiences was like a 1969 international grain truck. Yeah, baby. <laughs> three in the tree? Was there three in the tree? There was, there was not, but my grandpa okay. did have one of those. This That's was not, on. not only four on the floor, but it had a fifth overdrive little button that you could uh, like. Okay. But I'm, you know, I, 
I hit my max height when I was about 13. So I'm only 4'11". <laughs> That's right. That's my little spark plug. Yeah. <laughs> and I couldn't reach the pedals. So like my dad built these blocks for me to reach the pedals. Like I helped with harvest. You know, I did all this farming stuff. But, you know, when I, I started feeling the pull to bigger city life and bigger, mm-hmm. more opportunity places when I was probably about 15, 16 and so I knew by the time that I was 18, like I was going to turn that tassel and move somewhere. And where I grew up, like Denver and Minneapolis were equidistant. So Denver was nine hours, Minneapolis, nine hours. So, huh. you know, doing my research about wanting to be a musician and singer and performer, it just felt like Minneapolis was a better place to land with a great music scene, as you know, and, you know, family oriented music scene, which I didn't know until I got here, but, um, but it was, and theater, you know, I had dabbled in some acting and singing and dancing. So I knew that if all else failed, I could, I could move to this big city and audition to be in theater productions. And, and I did, and I did that. And it, and it happened for several years before I was in a band or writing my songs. But um, I knew immediately that it was the right decision. It was culture shock for sure. But I knew immediately that I had made the right decision. I still have lifelong friends that I met literally the first week that I was here and I've stayed ever since. So I'm, I'm celebrating my 20th year here. Wow. But your parents are musicians or were musicians, right? Yes, absolutely. So you grew up in a musical family. I did just, just like you. Um, my dad was the music teacher in, in my little town for 37 years. He was my teacher. He was in a band. He's a bass player and his band was called young imagination Cool. You can I like the name. definitely tell what era that was. That's right. And uh, my mom and him are high school sweethearts. So they started dating in the eighth grade and she learned piano. And so she eventually joined the band as the organ player, you know, like the old little Hammond. And um, like that, behind me, probably not, not a real Hammond, but yeah, it was, they didn't tour with that kind of, it, you know, they had like the little travel thing oh, that God. they yeah. did. And then, she became the church organist, like pipe organist Ooh. in my little Lutheran church in, in Scranton, North Dakota. I mean, I used to sit and watch her every Sunday. I mean, you know, pulling the stops, using her knees and her feet and, and the pedals and, and doing that. I'm like, how do you, it's like doing this. Like I couldn't, it was fascinating to watch her play this, you know, it, the, it spanned the entire wall of this church. And she taught me piano. My sister is older. She's four years older. And so she was already singing by the time I was born and playing piano in like kindergarten. So all I wanted to do is be like my sister, of course. And she hated it. She was so annoyed. But but I was starting to play. She would practice piano lessons and I would then get up on the piano when she was done and I would copy exactly what she had just played. And I, I remember my dad thinking saying, oh dear, like, here we go. We need to get her in. Yeah. It was just natural for me. And, and dad played records every single night. That's what we did as a family vinyls. You know, he would play everything from Van Halen to uh, John Prine and Peter, Paul and Mary and Donna Summer and uh, Lionel Richie. Like I have all these amazing memories of picking out these vinyls and, and listening and, and singing with my dad and just learning harmony and and, lear- and sitting as a family. But you turned into a rocker. <laughs> but you love all that stuff. It's true. I can't deny it. I um, When I started to write music, um, you know, I think my, my biggest influence at the time when I was about 14, 15 was country because that was what was on the radio. We only had mm. one radio station during right. the day. And at night, after the sun went down, you could get a second radio station that played rock and pop. So I was a little bit confused, you know, in that intro, but trying to write music, it was like, it always came out rock. It always came out rock. And I was like frustrated with that. But my dad was like, just embrace it. And, you know, there's no, there's, you could just be who you are. Be, be a rocker chick, like do it. It's, he said, I was forever. Like, it's okay. And and that's where my band Scarlet Haze was born because everything that I had written since then, since I was 14, came to life when I was about 21. And 
And it was rock. It was true so rock. Scar- Scarlet Haze, was that your first band uh, that you put together here in the cities? Yep, that was my first band. I had met um, my ex-husband, Shane, and I had met a ton of other musicians through the theater world. And, you know, I was always showing him like, oh, look what I wrote today. And, and he was like, you really need to connect with these musicians. So we got together a great core of musicians who stayed with me for the better part of a decade. And we, you know, like, here's what happened. It was just, it was so beautifully magical because I had my journal of lyrics and ideas and we ended up locking ourselves in a basement for like a month and just jamming, workshopping these songs, hitting record every now and then. And we all of a sudden, we were like, we have something and we should play out. And, you know, there's, like I said before, the scene here was perfect, is still perfect. You know, even though we're in a lull right now, there's so many venues. And back then there were so many venues that in the you know, early 2000s that were doing original music. And so we just started hitting the scene. We were hustling and giving our demo to The Fine Line and 7th Street Entry and uh, the Uptown Bar, which was my mm. favorite. And then they would get us, they would give us a time slot. And we just started playing our original music for people. And for whatever reason, within one year, we had quite the following. Wow, that's amazing. I know. So did you say that you you were in that band for nearly 10 years? Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, it was actually nine years almost on the dot. Did you end up, you have to tell the story about uh, opening for Bon Jovi. Yes. You got to tell me about that. Okay. So we were 11 months into this journey, 11 months, not even a year. And I found, I found this ad in the paper for uh, battle of the bands. And if you won this battle of the bands, it was put on a local by a local radio station. And if you won the battle, then you got to open up for a sold out Bon Jovi concert. Here's what's great about that story. That concert was always sold out. They didn't need to bring on any sort of local opener. They didn't need the press. They didn't need the media. It was John Bon Jovi mm-hmm. who has done it now for years, who says, I want to give people a chance. And I want to give musicians in their local town a, a, a shot at being in front of people, which is just beautiful. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's just so rare these days that people do that. So he started it in 2005 and, um, and so we, we did the thing. We signed up. We were like, there's no way. There's no way we're going to do this. How do we get the votes? How do we get the people? We haven't been together that long. But we had a lot of friends and family. And we stood outside downtown on Hennepin Avenue and like gave out flyers after concerts. No. We went to Cub Foods. And we would flyer people's cars saying, come and vote for us in this battle of the bands. Here's the opportunity of a lifetime for us. And we won. We did it. I was so nervous. There was like four or five bands in the running and, and we got it. We got the vote. We had over 200 and some votes that night alone. And then there was people that could vote online and we just crushed it. So, uh, so we got that shot and, and it forever changed my life because, you know, it was just an, an, a new level. And yeah. I don't know, you know, you, I'm sure you know, but like, we had been playing these venues for 100 people, 150 people, 200 on a great night. But when there's 10,000 plus in, in a room and the lights go down and everyone screams because that's just what you do no matter who's going on stage. I remember standing there and just thinking, I don't know if I can do it. Like, I don't know if I can do this. My nerves were on fire. <laughs> and the lights came back up. There we were. Our intro was playing. And I saw my mother 11th row with her rock fist right up in the air and she's about she's my height she's actually shorter than me nowadays but jumping up and down and we did 35 minutes just you know and straight in front of Bon Jovi we got to hang out with the band we met them all all day long we hung out after soundtrack and all the craziness and um you know John like asked us about our lives and and our journeys of being musicians and why we wanted to do this and and that forever changed my life because then the media caught on and, and then we ended up with a ton of agents and managers that were coming at us. And, and we like, we 
ended up scoring a record deal out of the whole thing. And, and it just, it was a fast track with that band. And might I add that there was a lot of luck involved, but, mm. and I, you know, I'm a lucky person. I am, I have a lot of luck on my side, but my dad always says, you know, luck favors the prepared. And bingo. And I love Thanks. that because he's right. And I was prepared. I was, I had, I was born for that moment and all of the hard stuff that came with it. You were prepping your entire career for that night opening for Bon Jovi. My whole life. <laughs> yeah. Walk yeah. me through what it's like after that high, high, high to have to give up singing yeah. for a while. I mean, that's, that's an incredible range of emotions. Uh, walk me through that journey. Yeah. So, you know, everything was going so well for us for for a few years. And we, when we got our record deal, um, it, it was a slower, pro- it was a slower process than I thought it was going to be. So we got to spend a lot of time on the record and uh, writing with people. And I, um, I ended up uh, writing a song with Chad Kroger from Nickelback. Wow. <laughs> and it ended up being the first single, which was called reach down. And um, so it went to radio and, and uh, this was the peak. This was the peak moment because now we knew like it was going to happen. We had to work hard and we're going to, we got to tour this record and we're going to have to, you know, really push rock radio to play this song. And so, you know, we were, we were doing the, the press tour that came out with this single release, which meant you're up at the crack of dawn doing morning show on radio, doing afternoon television, doing afternoon radio, doing night time meet and greets doing a show and then repeat for like 30 days it's it's and you drive all the way around we we focused in the midwest and a little bit of the south and um so i was tired you know it's it's a grueling process if you've ever ever but if anyone knows what i'm talking about it's it's just hard work but it's worth it and you get to meet your fans and all of these radio stations that are playing your music and you get to thank them in person but i started to lose my voice constantly and and, you know, being a singer, I had definitely experienced that, especially when I get sick, if I get a cold or allergies, it goes right directly to my throat. So I knew what that felt like, but I, I didn't, I wasn't sick and, and something felt really wrong. It started to become very painful to speak. It started to be very painful to just do anything. So I ended up taking a couple of days off drinking water, sleeping, because that's usually what I would do. Drink water, go to sleep. And it wasn't working. And I'm telling you, this was in the span of like, it was going down for a couple of weeks, but there hit a point of like two days, I couldn't do anything. So I went to the doctor and, and I was diagnosed with a cyst on my left vocal cord, the size of my pinky nail, which is quite big when it comes mm-hmm. to your vocal fold, as you know. And what was happening is this whole left side was basically paralyzed. It wasn't moving. It couldn't move. And the right side was like, doing a bunch of work and it finally just, you know, crapped out and it was on the verge of basically bursting. I mean, it was so callous and so, so big. And, you know, I I remember being in a fog that day because I remember him saying what was wrong. And I remember feeling relieved that I had an answer, but I also remember feeling terrified of what was next and what needs to happen. And, you know, I'm in the middle of a tour and my life was going so well. And we were just cloud nine. And, you know, I remember him saying something like, what are you doing Thursday? (laughs) This was like a Monday. And he was like, you, we have to go in and we have to remove it with emergency surgery, like now. And what they could tell is it was multiplying so fast. That's why it felt like it, it went down within a few days, but it had been growing for like over five years. Mm. The whole time I had this band, it was growing. It just didn't really affect me until that last moment. And once it starts multiplying really quickly, obviously that's very scary when it comes to cells in your body. So they needed to do um, a biopsy as well immediately when they took it out. But, I, you know, all the questions. And, and I remember just being devastated and my life just felt like it stopped. Kind of like how I felt last year during a <laughs> pandemic where it just... Yeah everything stops and you don't know what to do. And 
I, I didn't want to tell the band, but of course I had to, and I had to cancel the rest of the press tour and we didn't know how far beyond. And, and it was terrifying. So I fearlessly went in and I had a great, I still have a great, the same great doctor here in Minneapolis and Dr. Silver went in there and, and took it out. And he said it was so embedded that they had to take part of my ligament, which meant a longer healing process. And basically that I, I couldn't sing. I, I couldn't sing for further notice really, you oh. know? And then we started the journey of the checkups and the, the surgery went swell. It was perfect. I couldn't speak for 10 days, which if you're, if you know me, it's very hard for me. <laughs> <laughs> the funny oh. part is, and maybe you know this or maybe you don't, which I, I love the science of things, but um, the number one function of your vocal cords is balance. So like walking, what? riding, and you, if you do this, you feel it right there. No, I've never, I didn't know that. <laughs> it's the number one function of your vocal fold is balance. The rest is just gravy then. <laughs> the rest is gravy. Okay. So in that, and that being said, for those 10 days, not only could I not speak or sing or anything, make a peep, you can't whisper, you can't do anything, but you, you couldn't walk or move very much. You could not go to the grocery store and spend that amount of time walking and balancing yourself. You couldn't be in a car. Right? How, how mind-blowing is that? Whoa. Yeah. So on top of the world to absolutely done. Done. And done. I mean, you know, there was nothing I could do besides tell everyone to wait, and nobody waited. My record label did not wait. <laughs> My agents did not wait. My band could not wait, and, they, you know, they needed to get jobs and put food on the table. And so they all moved on, and, and I was left with all these questions. So instead of um, normal rehab for a singer may have been once I could start speaking again, it may have been vocal lessons. But what I did is I took it to another degree and I, I went into speech therapy and I did speech therapy for two and a half years, two and a half years after that moment. I mean, I was not, is that Bob Greider? Singing. That? that was Dr. Bob, Dr. Bob Greider, my lifesaver which I always laughed because his famous line every week would be like, you know, the goal is for you to not see me anymore. Yes. And I love him too. By the way, my audience knows that I struggle with speaking issues as well. Yeah. And I called Kat. I'm like, I was at wit's end. I'd been to the mail, been everywhere. And I called her and I said, I, you know, I know that you've, you had vocal surgery. Yeah. Uh, I need help. And she turned me on to, Bob Greider, and Bob. we became fast friends, and I still struggle quite a bit. You've recovered so beautifully, by the way. Unfortunately, this is just a, I'm continuing on the same journey, and uh, yeah. it's manageable. So what's the first thing I do after having this thing? I decide to have a podcast where I have to talk the whole <laughs> yeah, time. Right? So, but nice. it, it makes me accountable to myself to try to get it better. Does. I mean, I could be better about getting better. There's a t-shirt for you. There you Be go. Be better about getting better. We're going to take a little break from the interview right now because I want to tell you about a couple of really cool things. First of all, we're having so much fun with our weekly one-minute funk jams called Funk Friday. We've had so many world-class musicians on Funk Friday including members of the Steve Miller Band, Fleetwood Mac, Daryl Hall and John Oates, Earth, Wind & Fire, just to name a few. You can check that out on all of our social media, but you can also see it on our YouTube channel. I also want to take this opportunity to thank all of our members who have supported us on Patreon. Don't know what Patreon is? Go to www.patreon.com forward slash music on the run podcast and there you'll get all sorts of information on how you can financially help us produce this podcast there are all kinds of incentives listed there on the website and there are many different levels on how you can become involved we could not put on this podcast without our patrons all right let's get back to the interview tell us about when you decided to audition 
<laughs> yeah. For the show. For the I, will, I will I will backtrack a bit because when I was living my past life, there was a lot of people that would come up to me and say, you should try out for American Idol. You should try out for The Voice. I, I didn't know what that show was actually until the, the very last moment. But so many people would be like, you need to be on these competition shows. And I, I honestly was like, no, I'm good. I'm in a band. I write music. I'm fine. You know, we tour. I make a living. I'm happy. I don't I necessarily need to be on a talent competition show even though I was obsessed with American Idol, by the way, like <laughs> I, we watched it all the time. So even on the road, we would make time. Um, and here's what happened. Those kids were, um, like I said, they were creative. So they had me like watch TV with them. And Emma, the youngest girl that I nannied was, was like four, four, right before kindergarten. So age four. And she was like, will you watch this show with me? And I was like, sure. And I stayed late and, and the whole family got together. And I said, what are we going to watch? And she said, oh, it's my new favorite show. It's called The Voice. And you'll love it because Adam Levine is on it. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, I had never heard of it. I was like, whatever. She said, and she said that she, she was just such a little sassy thing. She's still sassy, but she's older now. But, um, she said, I can't, I know you'll love this show because I know you were a singer in your past life, in your past life. In your past life. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, what a sweetheart. So we watched the show and we fell in love. I mean, I fell in love. It was so much fun. I loved the premise of, of the chairs turning and not being able to see what you looked like. I loved the positivity of the show. That's the one thing I hated about American Idol was that they did a fair amount of, you know, not so nice things to people or, you know, exploiting some weird, what, not great singers, whatever, for a purpose, for television. So I loved The Voice because it had that positive angle. And I mean, we were obsessed with it, but here's what happened. <laughs> I was starting to sing again. I had a residency at, um, at Blarney's in Dinkytown. Wow. It was like the only gig I was doing on Wednesday nights. And I was trying to get my voice back and trying to get my feet under me a little bit and just trying to be inspired. So I did a once a week thing. And, um, so I was singing again a little bit, but I went to work one day and I opened up my computer and I, to check my email, everyone was at school. Emma was now in kindergarten. And, um, and I had an email that came through my YouTube channel and there was this video that went viral and it was from me singing like a pop-up singing in the Amsterdam airport. One day we were, we used to, well, we still do. We tour for the troops. We go over to the middle East and we perform for our men and women in, um, that's, uh, in, in the army and Navy and air force, all of it. And, uh, we were coming back from our first tour. That was our first one that we ever did in the middle East. This is before the, you know, obviously before the voice, before everything is when, when we were still just rocking and doing things. And, and we, I sang in the airport. It's not so, it's not so black and white. Here's what happened. There was a piano and Russ King was in my band mm. and he started playing and he was like, cat, sing something, sing something. And I was like, no, it's six 30 in the morning. I'm completely jet lagged. I, I didn't feel like that should happen <laughs> in the airport. Right. And then they bought me a beer. <laughs> That's the real story that sometimes I omit, especially when I'm oh, talking I see. kids. But well, this is an adult broadcast. They bought okay. me a beer. Yeah. A Heineken, to be specific, because that's really all they have over there. And, and then I was like, let's sing. We should sing. <laughs> so I put down my beer and I sang a song. And somebody videotaped. I mean, the many people videoed that moment. And, and I remember closing my eyes because I was a little still embarrassed. And I opened my eyes and we had created this giant scene. And there was a ton of cameras filming it. So it went up on the internet several different ways on YouTube, but this one perspective went viral. And, um, you know, so I didn't know that the voice goes in like, they go and curate the internet for singers and musicians. And, um, you know, they go to Instagram and Facebook and YouTube and they find these singers, especially in the Midwest, because we want, you know, the, their ratings for the voice in the Midwest are super high. So they love mm -hmm. having a Midwestern contestant. That's right. 
And it was an email saying they'd seen this video. They want me to fly out to California, skip the first two rounds, which I didn't even know what that meant. And, and, um, and go straight to the third round of season six of The Voice. And I totally thought it was a joke. Like I had no idea that they recruited from the internet. I thought you had to go stand in line in the cold and get your 10 seconds. And I did my research and sure enough, that was a true email from the producers. And, and I honestly, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't even respond. I, I, I honestly, the, the thought of jumping back into the music industry was scary. It was to me, you know, I felt scared to do that. I also felt like I loved my life at this point. I had just fallen into a nice, you know, five-year run of, of being a nanny and finding this new life and starting to gig a little bit. It was all very much in place. I didn't want to upset my life. And, and you know, I, those kids came home from school that day and I told them, which I'm glad. I just, I have a big mouth and I couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> and I'm glad I did it because the, little, the littlest one just said, why, why wouldn't you? Why, why wouldn't you, Kat? And, and that's very powerful. That's very powerful coming from anyone. But from a five-year-old girl, there was no way that I wasn't going to give it a shot. And it was their favorite show. And how, how could I, you know, really, honestly, I couldn't be a better, better mentor than to give it a shot, even if nothing happened. True. For them. Go for it. Yeah. So I got on that plane. <laughs> I don't love the babes. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone besides them. Uh, they, you know, I needed the time off work. And... <laughs> Now that was a blur because then it was a fast and straight shot right to the blind auditions because I, I was, I spent like five weeks in Los Angeles filming and screen testing and singing for people and randomly singing songs. And, and, Oh, it was just a weird like thing that happened. And, and what really what happens is you go through another like three rounds before the blind auditions just to curate who you are, if they want to cast you, Mind you, it's a television show. It's not necessarily a talent show. You don't have to be the best singer. You just got to be what they want for that season. And, and I did it and I got it. The rest is history. <laughs> and to make a very cool story, which we should get into another time, we have to shorten it up because I want to yes. talk to you about other things. You were one of the finalists. What'd you end up? Fourth place. Man, how great. How does that change? Okay, so now you're thrust back into it. Yeah. Yeah. How? I mean, I would have been dumb, really, honestly, if I wouldn't have, you know, at least tried to, to do that again because of what had happened and the momentum that was happening. And I was on Team Adam Levine. And yes, he's amazing and he's really gorgeous. But what people don't know is that he's actually a really cool, down-to-earth human. And... He promised me when I got eliminated that last week and getting fourth, I mean, I couldn't have asked for more. I feel like I won. I feel like fourth place is sometimes even better than getting first place can because be. you can move on with your life. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and he promised me he would help me. He promised me he would do whatever he could. And, and I was kind of like, yeah, right, yeah, right. But he followed through with that. And I ended up um, getting my first single, which was called Fearless, written by Heather Hawley in Los Angeles, California. And one of her young co-writers, her name is Dana Lowry, who at the time I believe was 14 or 15 years old. And she's from Brisbane, Australia. Hmm. I think it's Brisbane. And, and Heather is a big Hollywood hitter. Like she writes for Christina Aguilera and you, you name a pop princess out, out in Los Angeles and Heather has written for them. So I, you know, I got connected with these amazing writers and got this awesome single that I knew I wanted to do called Fearless. And we put it down in the studio with Michael Bland and John Fields produced it, who I had literally looked up to my entire career. I'm a huge Switchfoot fan and a huge, you know, like any sort of Disney princess fan and, and all of the production work that he did for any of those artists, I was a huge fan of John Fields and I knew of him for my whole life. Never met him, never had whatever. 
But we just asked him, will you produce this track? And he was like, are you kidding me? Yes, I will. And Michael Bland played on it and sang background vocals on it, which sometimes I forget. It's so fun she to hear did. them. And, uh, and we released it in August of, of 2014, which would have been three months after I was eliminated from The Voice, before that season ended, season six. And Adam Levine promoted the single and helped me. And it went all the way to number five on the iTunes charts. And back in the day, that was a huge, huge deal. Yeah. And, uh, and we sold, oh my God, we sold, we sold like 50,000 copies in the first month. I mean, it was like record breaking, which it just, it just, it was unheard of at the time, but, um, an independent artist, I did not take a record deal. I did not, I got myself out of the record deal that happens on the voice. Mm. Um, I did not, I had a lot of people that approached it and I was like, no, I just want to try this on my own. But but again, I would have been a fool if I didn't jump back in. And so I did. I, um, I had to leave the nanny job, but I ended up moving like a couple miles away from them. They just live right over here. And I see them still to this day. And then they supported that journey of me jumping back into the business and, and, and starting to do concerts again. And that's, um, and releasing music, writing music. And that's how I just kept my soul fed for the next couple of years after that experience. Is it difficult to keep the momentum from a show like that? Yeah, here's how I like to think about it. I, and I don't know where this came from out of my brain, but I think about it like this. It's like, I've always had the ingredients to make the perfect cupcake, right? <laughs> Meaning I've always known what to do to write a song, to sing it, to perform it. I've always had those ingredients to make a great cupcake. What something like The Voice does is it like gives you a machine, to make that perfect cupcake and make it even better. And, and now all you have to do is push a button because it's a machine and everything's rolling for you. And all you have to do is just sort of let it be and sit back. And then when you get off the show, you don't have that machine anymore to make the perfect cupcake. But you still have the ingredients and you have the expertise. You know what to do. You just have to move forward and keep going. So yeah, it's, it is hard to think about, oh my God, how do I do it without the team behind it? But you just navigate it. As you know, you just do. And my motto is dream it, do it. And, you know, that, that whole, if you can dream it, you can do it sort of fantasy land thing. But I knew that what I needed to do was focus on the do part of that. Because the dreams were already there. I'd been living that forever. Now I just needed to do, do, do. You're incredibly motivated. <laughs> so, no, but it's so inspirational for, for me watching you and watching that meteoric rise and then see how you've added to your career with different elements. Yeah. And I want to speak briefly about that because not only are you an incredible artist, you are into radio. Yeah. You're a spokesperson on television. Yes. That's, I mean, it's a whole different kind of entertainment, but what's important to me is you give back to your community. You love your community, yeah. don't you? I love my community. I mean, I love my intermediate community in Minneapolis. And, and that also stems out all the way across the Midwest, especially North and South Dakota that are very near and dear to my heart. Wisconsin has come into the game where, you know, I love the Midwest. I love where I grew up. I love these roots. So it's very important to me. And philanthropy came really easy for me because I knew the other motto in my life is do what makes sense. And you can define make sense to however you want, but I knew that, you know, things like the Ronald McDonald house made sense to me. I knew like the leukemia lymphoma society made sense to me. I knew that, um, you know, the CHA heart, the heart funded the children's hospital, all of that made sense to me. So whatever I can do, and it all stemmed from this, I wanted to use my new voice, pun intended, for whatever I could do because I had that platform. So let me help you. Let me help you raise money. Let me help you do good. I want to do good. I want to give back. And so it just came very naturally and all these opportunities to help all these great causes, which then led me to start my own nonprofit because I was so inspired by all of these nonprofits that I've been working with and still do to this day, uh, a lot of them, I decided to start my own because I wanted to help kids 
foster their dream in the music industry. Yeah, it sure is. You know, because uh, this is called Music on the Run, and we've talked about your journey and how you've dealt with different things. But let's talk about, the, you're, you're a spokesperson for uh, a company. I don't know whether you want to say it on the air or not. Yeah. But it, you can. Yeah, okay. We can totally say it. What's, what's the company's name? So Livia yes. came into my life like two and a half years ago. And Livia used to be Metafast, if, okay. you, if people know that in it's the Midwest. It's a weight loss system, yes. It's a weight loss, it's a weight loss journey. And, um, oh man, they're really cool because women owned, um, Minneapolis based, even though they've got now Wisconsin and many and Minnesota. Um, and they branched off, they branched off after having their knowledge in other companies to say, Hey, we got this. And not only do we have this, but we have, we're going to do this better and we are going to, um, kill it. We're just going to kill it basically. And I, I was very unhealthy once again. I, 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 um, oh my God, I ended up getting COVID before COVID was a thing. <laughs> it was, wow. It was this weird journey of, for everything. of pneumonia the year before. So 2019 and, and I came, I came down with pneumonia twice between December and March. And it put me in the, it put me in bed for like months. Hmm. And, uh, it was a slow journey of recovery. Uh, and um, and I ended up gaining a ton of weight, and which just made everything worse. And and I had a lot of um, hormonal problems, female problems that were also entering in at the, the moment. So I needed to do take action, and I knew that I needed to do that. And it finally took me pulling up my groin. I pulled a groin muscle so badly oh. that I almost had to cancel a, a ton of shows. But instead, I sat down and did shows. So weird but I couldn't stand up. And then I went to physical therapy and finally my physical therapist was like, I think you need to, you might just need to like try to lose weight. She's like, you have a a small frame, even seven, 10 pounds is going to make a difference. Get the weight off of that pulled muscle. And I'm telling you, it's going to help. And, and the universe speaks because I ended up recording a song with Chris hockey the next day after that physical therapy appointment. Chris Hockey, awesome singer, local radio personality. And he was um, signing on to be a brand ambassador and spokesperson for Livia. Mm. So we recorded our song, went amazingly. He's so talented. It was, went super smooth in the studio. And he said, you know what? If you really want to do this, I think you should contact them and, and you know, tell them I sent you. And he's like, I will tell you that those women are huge voice fans. So they might know who you are. And maybe you'll even get to be a spokesperson. I don't know. Reach out. And before I even did that, they called me. <laughs> Just like the voice. So weird. Because wow. I'm not sure. I was still terrified of the weight loss journey. I had never done it. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to start. And I, I'm not a gym rat. And I'm not a runner like you. Mm. I'm certainly not. I only run if I'm being chased. So if I'm running, <laughs> you should be running too. That's Okay. <laughs> but this is important because your 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 choices and how you healed your body is important yeah. to people for this program. And I knew I knew that that nutrition was going to be a big deal, and not necessarily exercise for me. Nutrition was going to be the thing. And I and I felt. I mean, imagine having pneumonia two times in a row. Like I felt really unhealthy on the inside. Yeah. And you know, if you know what happens scientifically, like I do, when you have a ton of antibiotics pumped in you, especially intravenously, when I was in the hospital, you lose all your good gut bacteria. So I had nothing on my side. Like I, I needed to literally do this with food. And so Livia reached out and I had a meeting 48 hours later and I started the plan about a week after that. It was Memorial Day, two years, two and a half years ago. And almost three, we're coming up on May, almost three. And... You know, and and they were totally interested in me being a spokesperson. The thing was, is I was like, well, I want to see if it works. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to be genuine. If this doesn't work for me, I don't want to to take this opportunity because I I don't want to lie if it doesn't work for me. I I can't do that. Yeah. And my God, it, it was brilliant. What happens is they have a team of, of dietitians and nutritionists. They're, they're all certified. They're all registered and, and they sit down with you one-on-one and they make these plans 
now we do it over Zoom, which is totally fine. Something so crazy like that to get educated about what you're putting in your body. And for me, I needed to speed up my metabolism. I needed to jumpstart my metabolism. I needed to teach my body to use the food that I'm putting in my body and not store it. And, and it was just fun. I just dug into the science. It was, I, I had like a playbook. It was like looking through a playbook every day of like, here's what I'm doing today. Done, done, done. 31 pounds later and no, two, almost three years and I've kept it off. This is the exact weight that I was when I was on The Voice, which not a big deal, but I mean, you know, that, that many years wow. ago, seven years ago. This How does is your where body feel now that you are treating it with respect for <gasps> crying out loud? It feels so much better. See? <laughs> I just, yeah. I sleep well. Um, I'm happy. I don't have these dips. I don't. I used to have like daily dips when I would, I would blame it on caffeine or I would blame it on whatever. And it was just, no, no, my body was taking these weird sugar dives or dips and I was addicted to sugar. So getting that out of my life was huge. And I thought I was going to really struggle with that. And honestly, it took like, it took 36 hours before I was like, yeah, I know I'm not even thinking about the candy bar. It's fine. Mm. <laughs> well, we'll talk off 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 uh, screen here because that's my big. That's why I run so I can have the ice cream. Well, of course, and that's that's part of it too. It's all about balance. It's all about balance. What but is that word? Moderation, balance. I, moderation, God, balance. You I just, don't have any of that in my system. And you'll feel so good. And my yeah. my groin is fixed, and my my feet don't hurt anymore. And I can actually, if I were a runner, I would be able to do it now. And I I, I was not at that point, so it's good. I I got a healthy body going on. I'm so happy for and you. I feel good. It makes me happy. What's next for you? What's I mean, we're starting to play, be able to play shows. Yeah. What's on your schedule? How can we find out what you're doing? Well, I mean, I am starting to play some shows out that aren't curbside. So um, I'm trying. I'm just starting in the cities. So we're doing crooners, which is a huge. Uh, they're always very supportive of all of so many artists in the city. It's called Crooners Supper Club, but. As you know, there's three different venues inside of that. There's two inside and one outside. And, and they have fostered local talent, Minnesota, I mean, national talent for mm-hmm. years. And they, they are killing it out there. They even killed it during a pandemic, doing outdoor stuff, doing virtual stuff. So we're going to start there. So, our, so that is, is coming up. And we'll probably do that every few months um, this year, which it's just one of my favorite venues. So I want to do it. And um and I'm going to keep doing the curbside concerts. I know that mm-hmm. might sound crazy. And I have gotten some really cool offers to play some different venues. And, and I, I just, you know, I, I don't want to go inside yet. I, I'll be vaccinated soon, I hope. But um, I, I want to stay there. I want to keep playing the outdoor thing. So those things are always on my mind. So live shows, yes. Here's what I learned and, and, I've, and I've never said it out loud, and I feel like I should take the opportunity. Um, live, playing live shows is, is awesome, and it's huge, and I love it, and I love that feeling. But what I did realize is that I feel like I, I was doing too much, and, and I am really enjoying being in my own bed and sticking around town and meeting my fans on a different level because... It, it's just been so meaningful. So I'm not, I'm not going to keep the schedule that I maybe once had. I'm not going to go nuts and balls to the wall with that. I'm going to keep it to where I'm choosing the really meaningful venues, the really meaningful shows. This one we're doing at Crooners is, is all songs from my childhood. Okay. And, and it leads from 1980, well, my life, but I, but I guess the songs go from even the 70s, 60s all the way to like the first song that I wrote in my life. And, and I'm going to do the storytellers thing. And those are the kind of shows that mean a lot to me. I don't necessarily go out there and, and do your normal bar gig. It's just not my thing. I like to stay into these artistic and, and crafty and, and like really creative shows. So I'm going to keep that going. And then I'm writing a book. I don't, I don't know if I told you that. I did not know that. I decided to... Give it a shot. It's going very slow. But you need a book with your speaking engagement, young lady. I do. And it's true. You know, I'm I'm I haven't lived I haven't lived that much of a life in the grand scheme of things, you know, thirty some years, but 
but I felt like I had enough to talk about and, and really to pass on to people. And especially the guidebook on living fearlessly, the things that I talk about in my speeches and corporate speeches and speeches to kids of just putting that kind of all together of like, here's how I truly live my life. And here's how I truly want to inspire you to find that fearless moment for you. It doesn't have to be how I do it, but it should be something that you find on a daily basis to inspire a fearless approach to remember to keep doing, to remember to find happiness and joy and remember where that needs to be on a daily. So that's kind of what the book is about. Plus you get my life story. Um, We'll see. I'm trying to get it out by fall, but you know, I'm just writing until it's done. That's what I'm doing. And it's way different than writing music, just so you know. So Mm -hmm. um, it's hard. It's hard. And I forgot that once you like, once you're out of school, like, you can't spell anymore and you can't use like proper grammar. It's grammar. It's really hard. <laughs> so I get caught up. I'm like, there's a red line. That I don't know what I spelled wrong. I got to get it. Yeah, right. What is that? Ah. So writing the book. And then uh, we're planning for my, my music camps this summer. We're going to try if, okay. as long as um, the vaccination is moving forward, we're going to try to do it in person. If we can't do that, we'll do it virtually. Got to keep those kids in my life. And then the Christmas show will be here before we know it. We start this year. We start November 27th this year with our Christmas tour, which will be four weeks long. Plus we'll be doing curbsides with it. Yeah. So my year is pretty laid out and I'm comfy. I'm comfy and happy. You are inspirational. (laughs) You're fierce and you're fearless. Everybody, my dear friend, Kat Perkins, thank you for taking the time out to to hang with me for an hour. No, thank you. It really means a lot to me. I'm I'm truly honored because I I keep up with this podcast and you have so many famous and talented and iconic people. And here I am, just this little kid, farm kid from North Dakota. So thank you for that. We're honored. Are you kidding? We're honored to have you. I'm so (laughs) excited that you said yes. Yes, of course. Check her out, katperkins.com. Go on Spotify, support her because she's doing so much Yes, Great please. stuff for the community and for kids and everybody. So thank you, Kat. I appreciate it. Thank you. Hey, that's it for episode 36 of Music on the Run. We'll see you in two weeks. Ow! Music on the Run was hosted by yours truly, St. Paul Peterson. Edited and produced by my buddy, Davide Razo. Artist relations by Owen Sartori. Video editing by Tanner Montague. And a very special thanks to the people who financially support this podcast. And remember, go out for a run today.